We're grateful, Lord, to have your word. We, uh, we're, we're grateful it's available to us. We're grateful for the people who gave their lives, literally, so that we could have a Bible in our language. We have so many uh, things to choose from. We have so many options. We have so many diversions. We have so many opinions. We have so many bloggers. We have so many um, panelists. They're all around us. But uh, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the truth of it. And uh, here we are. Once again, midweek, <clears throat> different places, different situations, different fears, different concerns, different, uh, some of us are a real different place than we were in even seven days ago. So what we need is a word, we need a sure word, we need a word we can uh, base our lives upon, and we're thankful that you have given that to us. We want to be like the Christians at Berea, who were more noble than the Thessalonians. Because the Christians at Berea tested what Paul said. They tested it according to Scripture to make sure they think these things were true. We want to be those kinds of men. We want the, the word to be the authority. We want to take what we hear, we want to take what we read, we want to match it up to what the scriptures say. That's, that's the sure footing, that's the, the sure foundation. We can build our lives upon that. We're concerned, Lord, about the breakdown of our nation. We're concerned about the chaos, we're concerned about the foolishness, we're, we're concerned about the, the absolute lawlessness that we see everywhere. And what remains and what continues, it, it remains and continues because you hold it together. We all know that uh, the breakdown of a nation begins with the breakdown in, in the home and in the family. And we all have homes, and we all have families. Even if we're single, we're part of a family. Even if we're living by ourselves, we're still in a family. We have, we have relatives. We've got grandkids. We've got aunts. We've got uncles. We, we've got somebody. So as we look at this passage tonight, which is extremely practical, about how families are to function and how families are to hold together and how families are to be led. We pray that you'll give us. Um, we pray that you'll give us something to chew on, something to think about. Every one of us inevitably has someone in our family that we are concerned about and for we would ask that you might give us an opportunity to influence them in the right way. Maybe to say uh, a word at the right time. Not at the wrong time, at the right time. Proverbs says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. We would like to be a conduit to, to say that word at the appropriate time. We'd ask you to do that for us tonight. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ted Turner is 69 years old now. And uh, I have an article here from the Omaha World Herald. I don't know where I got it. Uh, I think it was frozen and attached to my briefcase uh, when I was in Omaha a few weeks ago. But um, the heading says, Turner is almost done. That's the headline. Turner is almost done buying up ranch land. 
CNN founder Ted Turner, the largest private landowner in Nebraska and the United States, and the nation's largest bison rancher, said Wednesday that he's about done buying new ranches. He said he would like to reach 2 million acres nationwide before he dies, about 40,000 acres more than he currently owns. I'm almost done. I've got enough, said Turner, who was visiting Omaha for the reopening and renaming of one of his 54 bison restaurants, now called Ted's Nebraska Grill. The 69-year-old billionaire, philanthropist, uh, uh, and uh, conservationist said he isn't interested in freestanding ranches anymore, only reasonably priced parcels. Uh, Turner said to the reporter, do you know what two million acres is? If my land was all connected in one straight line, and it was a mile deep, it would stretch from New York to San Francisco. Then he joked, I've been thinking about doing some swaps. I'd be able to cut the United States in half and charge people from going to the north to the south. Turner's name isn't in the headlines as much anymore. His focus has changed from running a media empire to fighting global warming and nuclear weapons and controlling population. That's what Ted Turner is doing with his life as he becomes an older man. What are you doing with your life? Because you're becoming older. If you're 19, you're getting older. If you're 69, you're getting older. Interestingly enough, in Titus chapter 2, he's going to talk to the older men. And you say, well, I'm not an older guy. Well, he's going to get to you as well. Because in this section in Titus 2, there are some uh, real basic fundamentals that are given to, um, to four groups. He's going to talk to the older men. He's going to talk to the younger men. He's going to talk to the older women, and he's going to also include in this the younger women. Um, <clears throat> we all do come from families. Uh, a church, we'll, we'll talk about a church family. A church is comprised of family units. That's what a church is. It's a gathering of different families. And uh, some families, you know, are young, and so you, you all come to church together. Some of you, your kids are up and gone, or your kids are away at college, so you're not all together. But, but we're in families, and we've, we, we all represent families here tonight. This is, uh, in Titus, this, this is family business. And I think, essentially, what he's talking about here, uh, he's giving ingredients on, on how to have a functional family. We hear so much about dysfunctional families. We hear so much about... Um, Families that are screwed up, families where there's all kinds of uh, hurt and guilt and shame and brokenness and all of this, and, and that stuff happens because we're people and we're, we're flawed and we're broken. Um, but, but what the Lord wants to do is he wants to heal families. He wants to heal relationships. He wants to, um, he wants to do a, a shift. He wants to do a change and... He begins with individuals, and individuals are in homes, and individuals are in families. So it's, it's a relational deal that we're in. In chapter 2, verse 1 of Titus, he, um, he lays it on the line to Titus. And he says, but as for you, now, now we've got to stop there. But as for you, he, he's playing off the previous verse. And, and if you remember where we were last week, talking about the Cretans, as you know, in Titus, uh, if you look up at uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he's in Crete. Crete is, is just a, uh, it's a bad news place. It is, I said the other night, it's the San Francisco. I would change that to it's the Berkeley. I don't know if you guys know what's going on in Berkeley the last couple of days, but they're trying to, they, they want to close down the Marine Corps recruiting office in Berkeley. So they're doing all these demonstrations. And, and so some people showed up, was it yesterday, in Berkeley to protest what this group, Code Pink, whoever these guys are. 
a bunch of pinkos, I guess. <laughs> a bunch of radicals, a bunch of anarchists, a bunch of leftists. Uh, you know, people show up to support the Marine Corps and all that. Uh, and, of course, the major media outlets don't cover this, but they had their permits. And, you know, usually they keep the two groups apart. Well, they didn't, the cops in Berkeley, they didn't keep the two groups. You know, you couldn't do your demonstration without having these wackos walking over there and unplugging your sound system and doing all this. It was getting a little heated. So one of the leaders of the pro-Marine group called the Berkeley police, and they were hung up on. Then they called the California Highway Patrol. If you've been in California, you know they're, they're a, they do a lot of law enforcement, and they hung up on them. So a lot of chaos going on out there. A lot of lawlessness. That's kind of what Crete was. It was just out of control. And in those verses where we, we looked from 10 to 16 of chapter 1, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, these false teachers. Uh, the culture as a whole was screwed up. Verse 12, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's a quote. Paul says this is true. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, you see the contrast? In other words, that's what you're up against. That's what you're in the middle of. That's what the culture is. It's a godlessness, it is a, um, they profess to be godly, but they deny him by their very deeds and the way that they live their lives. But as for you, Titus, here's what I want you to do. As for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In the midst of all this lying and all this deception and all this duplicity, I want you to speak the truth. Verse 2, older men, he's going to deal with them. Look at verse 3, older women. What are older women to do? Look at verse 4. They're to encourage the young women. Look at verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. There's the young men. And interestingly enough, if you go to verse uh, 9, he talks about slaves and about servants. Because back in this culture, somewhere between a half to two-thirds of the world's population were slaves. And many homes had servants and had slaves. So he includes them as well. Now, let's go to the older men. Instructions are given to older men now, this is different from what he gave to, to Titus about appointing elders. Um, there were qualifications that he gave for men who were going to be elders. But even if you're not an elder, but you name the name of Christ and he's come into your life, there needs to be some character traits in your life. Um, turn with me real quick to Psalm 78. You know, this, uh, this generational thing and is a passing of the baton. That metaphor has been used so many times, but that's precisely what it is. You know, when you're young, life just seems, I mean, gosh, it just seems like you've got so many years ahead of you. And then you wake up one day and you think, where did it all go? And, it's, and then... And, do you remember, do you remember the, some of you older guys? Um, you say, well, I'm, how do I know I, when I'm an older guy? When they register, they put an O on your hand. Do you have an O on your hand? You didn't even, you didn't even feel it, did you? I think we ought to start doing that. We ought to do O and Y. Let's just identify guys. We'll put an O on your hand or we'll put a Y. Some of you guys, older guys, do you remember the last time anyone use the term young man in addressing you? <laughs> I, 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 I remember being in my 20s and 30s, and I remember from time to time being called young man by an older guy. And 
Sometimes, it depended on the context, but, but it kind of bothered me sometimes because I wanted to, I wanted to grow up. I wanted to be a mature guy. I can remember, I, 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 when I was in my 20s, for some reason, I thought a lot about being 40. I really did. I, I had seen some guys when I was in my early 20s that I admired and that I appreciated and I watched their lives. And then I saw a couple make some real bad choices. So I started thinking, and I thought they did really well up until around 40. And, and I just started thinking about being 40 and what I wanted my life to look like. And what's amazing is that I hit 40 18 years ago. I have never really thought much about 60. But I'm going to be 60 in less than two years. Uh, and I'm planning on dying when I hit 60. I'm, I'm, I'm going. Because <laughs> life's over. I mean... Look at you guys. <laughs> You're worthless. No, you're really just kind of hitting your stride, but it, it sneaks up on us. Uh, we used to be young guys, now we're older guys. We're going to pass the baton. Someone passed it to you, we're going to pass it to somebody else. Psalm 78, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth. In a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. They pass something on to us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. This is multi-generational. Verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that, that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born. There are kids that are on their way to your family that you don't know anything about. But part of the task is to teach that next generation, a generation that doesn't even exist yet. You say, well, I might even, not even be around to influence them. You may not be around, but you will influence them. Because you're teaching your sons and daughters, and when you're gone, they'll teach them, and then they'll teach the next generation, and that's, what, that's what's going on here. Uh, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So... so uh, this is, this is a great relay deal, we're saying. And, and you know, a lot of guys who can run fast, for some reason, can't seem to pass a baton. They're, they're highly skilled athletes. They're, uh, they're very gifted. They, uh, they've got incredible levels of steroids in their bodies. But for some reason, when it comes to handy, it's just handing a baton. And the other guy going like this, how many times have you seen them screw it up? They're not able to make the transfer. Well, that's what Titus is all about. We got to make the transfer. That's the job. So he starts with the older men back in Titus. And he's going to say what, what I see in here to the older men. He's got six things to say about older men. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance or steadfastness. Let's just break them down. Older men. How many of you guys consider yourselves older men? You see your hands. Okay. Here you go. Older men are to be temperate. What does that mean? Well, literally, it means sober in the sense of not overdoing alcohol. That's what it means. Uh, you got that under control. It's not controlling you. This was a problem back then. It's a problem today. Then he says this. Older men are to be dignified. Um, now, what does this mean? The, the idea here is... 
they're serious about life. The idea is, is that they have some gravitas to their lives. They have some gravity to their lives. They're not flitting up here and going here and off on this tangent and all that. They've got their feet on the ground. They're cool, they're calm, and they're collected about life and what life is going to throw at them. Now, how do you be calm and cool and collected? Well, by being aware, as we're going to see in a minute, of what is true and what is real and what you believe and what corresponds to reality. Is God there? Yes. Is he your father? Yes. Is he promised to provide for you? Yes. Is he in charge of everything in your life? Yes. Good things? Yes. Bad things? Yes. Okay. If that's true, and then you start working it from there, then as I go through life, I can keep my feet on the ground. I don't have to go off on this tangent or this or pursue this or anything. There's gravitas. Older guys are to be dignified. They're to be examples. They're to be serious. Not serious in the sense that they're not fun to be around or they're depressed or they're... No. But they... They live life in a way that uh, they're serious and they're thoughtful about life and their choices and the consequences and what they're doing with their life. That's what the word means. So there's uh, stability here. There's a seriousness. Uh, You take your responsibilities seriously. Seriously, you're not flippant. Uh, To be this kind of man, you cannot be self-centered. You cannot be living for yourself. Uh, It cannot be all about you, is the phrase, you know, is so common today. Tommy Nelson's doing a series of a Denton Bible Church on the 60s. And... uh, doing four weeks on the 60s. And, and really what he's doing, you know, they got a lot of college students up there at North Texas. And he's explaining to these kids, he's explaining to them their world and the culture in which they're living. But what he's saying to them is, in order to understand it, you got to go back to the 60s. Because the reason we're in the shape that we're in right now, and we just didn't get here, it's because who, who are the older men in our culture? Who are the older men that are making decisions and having an impact and uh, in, in, places of, uh, uh, in places of authority, in places of government? Who, who, who are these men? Well, when they were, they were young guys in the 60s. And they believed certain things. And they rejected other things. And because of their influence, because of their leadership, and you just don't have to be a a guy with a lot of power and a lot of authority, you can just be a regular guy. But the way you live your life based on what you uh, embraced in the 60s and what you rejected and where you came out, that determines where you are in life. The older guys used to be young in the 60s. So I saw this... uh, I saw one of these guys running for president who was real excited because he got an endorsement from a guy in his party. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I'd want a woman killer endorsing me. But they were all excited about it. I said that one time in a church in Washington. I'd never said it before. Not D.C., the state of Washington. And you guys were kind of quiet. They were stunned. They were kind of stunned. And I said, isn't that what that guy is? And they were kind of afraid. They didn't want to admit it. But I don't think, personally, I'd want a guy who's a woman killer to endorse me. I don't need an endorsement from a woman killer. But that shows you how screwed up we are. 
The people, oh, that wasn't that great. Uh, really? Well, that tells me what you believe. And it tells me what your core, what your gravitas is. Not much there. I'm feeling better now. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? If you were if you were in high school or college in the '60s, man, and, and here we are today, it went by fast, didn't it? My gosh, did it ever go by fast? Just incredible. We're to be dignified. We're to be serious. We're to be now, not the Cretans, not the Cretans, but. He's saying, Timothy, here's what I want the older guys. I want you to instruct the older guys. This is how you've got to live your life. We need some stable men. We need some guys that are not self-centered. We need some guys that are responsible. We, we, we need some guys that do their duty. We need some guys who are assigned to their post, and they show up and they serve. And they don't need the limelight. They just do it because it's right and it's unto the Lord. I saw Homer when I came in. Many of you know his wife passed away recently. And I remember Lou Spencer telling me how Homer took care of her and all that he did. Didn't make a big deal. He's probably embarrassed I'm bringing it up. But a lot of us who were aware of that, we thought, no, there's a man. That's how you do it. And see, when you've got a guy like that in the family, What a blessed family. You see? Is it easy? It's cotton picking hard. Boy, you see somebody like that and you respect them. Why? Because of their life. Because of their life. They're not running away. They're not doing this. They're just showing up and they're doing what needs to be done. Because it's the right thing to do. These are good traits, aren't they? I think they are. Sensible. Next thing he says, sensible. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. I, I, I had fun. You know, you can look up in these lexicons, the different nuances of these words and all this. Here's what I came up with, Sensible. A sound thinker whose life is under control. That's pretty much the guts of it. Older men are to be sensible. They're to be sound thinking men whose lives are under control. Winston Churchill went into Parliament in 1900 and he was there until 1964. He was there almost two-thirds of a century. Uh, you know it's Churchill's story, and he had his ups and he had his downs. He had his victories and he had his defeats. He had his popularity and he had his time twice where he was in the political wilderness. Uh, in the 30s, he was in the wilderness. Then they brought him back when Hitler was getting ready to bomb him into oblivion, and they had to get rid of Chamberlain. But then after... Uh, Churchill brought him to victory. Then what they do next time they had an election? They voted him out of office. So he was in the wilderness again for roughly five years. And then he came back as prime minister. So he had his ups, his downs. If you know anything about Churchill, you know what his hobby was? He painted. He was a painter. In the good times and the bad times, he painted. You go to, if you go to England, you go to Chartwell, his home, which he couldn't afford. Churchill lived like a king, but he didn't have any money. Um, he came from a family of the upper crust. Um, but his, uh, his father was not the oldest, so he didn't get the inheritance, and Churchill didn't get it. Um, the greatest palace in England is Blenheim. 
which was given to his great, 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 you know, the Duke of Marlborough, who was his great, 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 whatever, grandfather. And, and Churchill was actually born there, but he didn't inherit it. But Churchill liked to live high, and uh, he did. And he usually couldn't pay his bills, so he was always, wor- he was always writing, because that's how he'd work these big advances with publishers, and that's how he stayed afloat. So through the good times, through the bad times, he was always painting. If you go to Chartwell, and it's all restored, and you can go into a study, you go, you go down the lawns, across the ponds, to the right is the really nice, beautiful brick walls that Churchill would do because his other hobby was laying bricks. He was a mason. And the big, beautiful dollhouse he built for his daughter. But right over here was his painting studio. And you walk in there, and the paintings are still there. And that's where he painted. If he went on vacation, he painted. He painted, painted all his life. That's how he coped with all the stress in his life. Get out his paints. <clears throat> There was a five-year period in his life where he didn't paint. He painted one picture in five years in one afternoon. It was during World War II. Now, why didn't he paint? Well, because when you're leading a nation into war, it doesn't make any sense to go down to the seashore and paint a picture. That's not sensible. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. That's not, that's not what a guy does who is practicing sound thinking with his life under control. I mean, the Nazis were in France. They're 20 miles across the English Channel. They could show up there in 45 minutes. You're not out painting pictures. So for five years, he didn't paint. It didn't make sense. Um, what does this say? Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. Sensible. Sound thinking with their lives under control. So you get a guy who's sober and not addicted to alcohol. You get a guy who is serious about life and has his feet on the ground and takes his responsibilities seriously and is not self-centered and not looking for some 23-year-old chick and, you know, all this stuff. You get a man You get a man who's an honorable man and a man who does his duty and he's a sound, sensible thinker with his life under control, that's something to shoot for. That's how you make a difference. That's how you make an impact. You know what's interesting to me about our culture? So many guys past 40. So many guys past 50. So many guys past 60. Older guys, what is their goal in life? They're trying to look and act young. How many times do you see that? I mean, we worship youth. You remember George Bernard Shaw? Great quote. Shaw said, youth is such a wonderful thing, it's a, it's a tragedy to waste it on young people. Because they don't know what they've got. You get older, you appreciate youth. There's nothing worse than an old guy trying to be young. There's nothing worse than an old guy. Hey, man, kiss it off. You're 55, you're 65, you're whatever you are. So be who you are and be steadfast and be a rock. And be a stabilizing force in the lives of other people. And be a man of influence in their lives who they can count on and who they can come to and who they can trust and who they can look to. That's what we're supposed to be as men of God. I hadn't thought about this. I hope I'm right. I'm not even going to tell you where I'm going because I've got to check it out to see if it's even in the Bible. <laughs> I think it is, but I'm not telling you until I look at it Nope. Nope. Just hold on. You got a second? Say hi to the guy next to you there for a minute, will you? <laughs> there it is. Job 29. Flip over to Job 29. You know what was one of the things that was so hard on Job? Is that he lost 
his place of influence. He lost his place of gravitas. He lost his um, influence. All that happened to him, he was not able to do what he used to do. Look at Job 29. Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months gone by. As in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. As I was in the prime of my days. When the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, and my steps were bathed in butter. And the rock poured out for me streams of oil. In other words, man, I remember when I was healthy. I remember when I, I remember when I could live life. Man, those were great days. Well, what did he do back then? Well, look at verse 7. When I went out to the gate of the city, uh, you go to Israel, you go to these old archaeological digs, you go to... Uh, you go to Bet Shan, you got the gates of the city. They, everything was done in the gates. You go to Jerusalem, you go to the old city, they got all the gates. All the business, all the commerce, all the interaction was done at the gates. And the elders oversaw everything. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square, he was one of the leaders, he's one of the key guys. The young men saw me and hid themselves. The old men arose and stood. He's talking about respect. He's talking about honor. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to their palate. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw it, gave witness of me. This was a man, this was a man who was making an impact. Now watch what he did. 12, because I delivered the poor who cried for help. That's what he used to do. I had a ministry. If people were hurting, they had a need, I'd help them. That's what I did. And the orphan who had no helper, well, I'd help the orphan. We've got to take care of this child. This child needs some help. This child needs a home. This child needs some care. Well, who would do that? Job would. Who's going to finance that? Job would. Who's good? Job wasn't selfish. He was a giver. Uh, the blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me. You got someone who's going to die? We've got a need. We've got medical. Who, who's going to? Let's go see Job. He'll help us. Do you see the stabilizing influence this guy was? And I made the widow's heart sing for joy. Why? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out, isn't it? Because she was destitute. Her source of income was gone. She, she's, she's, her life is over. Her life is finished. She, her hopes and dreams, her husband's gone. But when she came and talked to Job, her heart would leap for joy. Why? Because Job was going to help her out and give her what she needed. And this guy was a stabilizing rock in the community. Verse 16. Oh, oh uh, 14. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. And this guy's not blowing his own horn. He just, where he is now, he's saying, this is what I used to do. I can't do it right now. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. See, this is what we're talking about. Older men are to be fathers. Not just to your kids, not just to your grandkids, but the people who are around you who are hurting. This is what godly men do. And we got so many guys who have flaked. And instead of doing this, they've done the opposite. So you've got broken kids, you've got broken young women, you've got broken young men. They don't have a clue. They're afraid of life because the significant man in their life hurt them, hurt others. They can't trust. They've been taken advantage of. Somebody needs to counter that and show them what a Christian man is who follows Christ. Men are strategic. I was a father to the needy. I investigated the case, which I did not know. 
Uh, that's not right. In the Hebrew, it, it says, I, I, I didn't want to get involved. That's what the Hebrew really says. It's not what it says. A lot of guys who are wusses, that's their theme song. Oh, I don't want to get involved. Okay, you gelding. That's fine. What did Job do? I investigated the case, which I did not know. Why? I took initiative. Somebody needs some help. Well, let's check this out and let's see what's going on here. Because someone needs to be a man here in this situation. Someone needs to make a difference. I broke the jaws of the wicked. Isn't that great? You got a pen. I need to underline that. It's already underlined, actually. That's okay. I snatched the prey from his teeth. So you got wickedness out there, and they're getting ready to snatch somebody? Some innocent's going to be by the... I'll take that sucker on. Uh, I, I remember Al McDonald. Uh, they, they used to do a lot of conferences for high school kids, Dawson McAllister. And I remember Al talking about... Um, they do these, you know, they'd have thousands of kids coming to these things. And inevitably, every weekend, there'd be a teenage girl that would come to them, and she's broken, and just, and they'd find out that she was being sexually abused. And you know what they'd do? They'd go handle it. These little girls couldn't go anywhere else. And some of their fathers were, you know, big-time business guys and had reputation, and they'd go take them on. Now, I'm going to tell you, They'd confront them, and they'd handle it, and if they needed to, they'd get the police involved. Now, how do you think those little girls felt about that? They loved it. Here's here's a man that's not trying to take advantage of me. Here's a man who's going to protect me. That's what men do, godly men. I'm safe here. I'm safe here. You say, well, gosh, they could have gotten sued. Yeah. You might get sued. Well, I might lose everything. You might lose everything. But you'll die and go to heaven, and you'll get quite a bit there. Now, anybody want to lose anything, everything? No, we don't. But, you know, sometimes you just got to do what's right. Sometimes you got to take a stand. Sometimes you got to be a, sometimes you got to be a man. Now, you want to be wise and you want to use your head, but sometimes you just got to do the right thing. When, when, you, when, when there's an older man that's living his life like this, everybody benefits. Verse 21, to me they listened and waited and kept silent for my counsel. People need wisdom. People need advice. People need, well, they could go to Job and they could get it. Now, you know, it's interesting, Job was in a real tough way in his life at this point. That's where he used to be, and that's where he would be again. He didn't know that. Look at verse 25. I chose a way for them and set as chief and dwelt as a king among the troops. Not a self-serving one, but one who looked out for their good and for their welfare. Jesus said, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you must be the what? The servant of all. You don't sit around and say, I'm the chief, I'm the big cheese, whatever I say goes. That's, that's not how it works. You're looking to serve, you're helping to, you're looking to respond, you're looking to be a godly influence. Is this good stuff? You ever seen a guy like this? When you were young, you ever see somebody like this? Maybe they helped you out? It's a great thing, isn't it? Well, that's what those kind of guys we need to be. And see, that's, let me tell you something. And every time you help somebody like this, you know what's interesting? If, if, if you struggle with depression in your life because of some loss or some difficulty, I'm not talking about chemically, but if you're down about life and, you know, go serve somebody. Go do something for somebody. Go make yourself available. And you know what will what'll happen? You're going to lift because that's what you were meant to do. 
Now, it, Job was in the toughest place of his life because he, God sovereignly had put him in this position and he couldn't do what he used to do. And when you talk to guys that have lost their ability to do this, it's hell on earth for these guys. It's not where they want to be. They, they want to make a difference. He's not done with the men back in Titus. Let's go back there, okay? So they're to be, they're, they're, they're to be different, dignified, sensible. Now watch this, the fourth thing. Sound in faith. Sound in faith. Then he says, in love, sound in love, in perseverance or steadfastness. So they're to be sound. You know, you, you sign a document or a will and someone witnesses that, that you're of sound mind. Well, we need to be of sound faith. See, a guy like Job, a guy, an older guy who's dignified, who's serious, who's stable, who's got his feet on the ground, he's sound in his faith. Does that mean everything in your life is going the way you want it to go? No. Are there areas in your life that you don't quite have the way you'd like? Yeah. Are you missing some things in life? Are there, are there issues where you're waiting on God and trusting in the promises and you got needs in your life? Yeah. Well, what are you doing? You're, you're walking by faith that God's going to supply what you need when you need it. There's always, you know, guys, sometimes I, I sound like a, I, to myself, I feel like a broken record. But there's some things you keep saying over and over again, and this is one of them. The Christian life is a walk of faith. It's never going to be, we're never going to get it the way we want it on this earth. There's always going to be an area where we're going to have to walk by faith. So we're sound in our faith. Well, how are you sound in faith? You know the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's how you get sound in faith. You interpret life through the scriptures. And once again, you think about your life. You think about who your God is. You think about what your God says. You think about what your God has promised. You know that he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Does he, does he supply all my needs the moment I want him to? No. Hudson Taylor, uh, the, the great, great missionary pioneer who went into China and went inland, I've told you about him, and you, you knew about him before I told you about him, but... Uh, he was going through, I was reading his biography a while back, and he was going through just an incredibly difficult time in, in the finances of the mission. I mean, they were hanging on by their fingernails, and he didn't send out emails. He was half a world away. They'd have a need, and even if they could send a letter, it was going to be four, five, six months before it was received and responded to. They were in a real, real difficult time, and it just... It, it, it wouldn't go away, it wouldn't let up, it wouldn't let up, and he keeps holding up the scripture, my God shall supply all your needs, all your needs. You know what hit him one morning? I need to be in this position. God is supplying my, I need to be here for some reason. It's a need in my life that I am needy. I'm dependent he had that realization, and the burden lifted. There's a reason God has me needy. Do I know what it is? No, but he's promised to meet every need. There's a reason I'm needy. Shortly thereafter, it was met, and it was lifted. Now, that's a great spiritual insight. You don't get at the spa when they're doing their nails and their whatever they do at those places. You get that, and you get that when you're getting the crud kicked out of you, and you're just seeking the Lord. Uh, what is sound in faith? It, it's it's healthy in faith. It's a deepening faith and a trust in God. That um, so you're 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 stable. You're stable. Um, an article in the uh, London Times, February 1st. The headline says, where have all the men gone? 
British women in their 30s want mates. They can't find any. Why? Because most eligible males are selfish, mixed up, man, boys, chasing no strings sex, says our correspondent. Uh, This gal, Laura Nolan, says, the person who fell in love and believed that when you found a great girl, you counted your blessings and married her, has morphed into someone in search of nothing more than a bit of fun who views any relationship that he can't get out of at the ping of a text message with genuine unease. And then she goes on, and I'll give you one other shot, because this shows you how screwed up. And it's very interesting, because, you know, she, gal in the third, I'd like to get married, I'd like to meet a gal, a guy and get married and settle down and have kids. One gal says, this is a gal, um, Here you go. Uh, this gal says in her 30s, I spent most of last year with a guy who used to weigh me every day and refused to sleep with me if I got too heavy. How crazy is that? But the awful thing is that once you pass 36, you find it's single men rather than single women who are the prized commodity. Well, what are you doing sleeping with the guy? Why should he marry you? And then a guy says, in theory, I'd like a family, but it doesn't feel urgent. And in the meantime, I have a great life with plenty of sex. All on my own terms. Love has sort of disappeared from the menu. And yes, now I've learned that I can. I I miss women around in ways I'd never have done in my 20s. I read this. These people out of their cotton-picking minds. Here are these gals saying, well, he won't marry me. Well, why would he marry you? sleeping with you. He's got everything he wants. Um, sound in love. It's a healthy love. Yeah, yeah, that's the next one. You see that? You're sound in love. You know what that means? You're healthy in your relationships. Uh, uh, if something's wrong, if something's wrong in a relationship, you initiate and you go fix it. And you go find out what the heck's going on. And you pursue and you initiate. Now, do we always do this? No. I don't always do it but I'm working on it. If something's wrong, it's our job. Let's go get it squared. You, you don't, if you got something that's broken or you got a problem or a deal, go get, get to work. Find out what's going on and sit down and talk about it. You're sound in love. You're sound in perseverance or in steadfastness. What does that mean? You're staying with it. You're not wandering off. Is this always fun? Is this always uh, um, Valentine's Day? Which, by the way, is tomorrow. (laughs) I'm driving down the road today, and this commercial comes on. Hey, guys, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. My gosh. I didn't know that. (laughs) But it is. How many of you guys knew tomorrow's Valentine's Day? Uh, That's the wrong way. How many of you guys didn't know? Tomorrow. I'm putting my hand. Come on. Come on. You didn't know. Oh, you bunch of liars. <laughs> it's my ADD. It's not my fault. I can't help it. I'm in counseling. <sighs> I don't have a lot of time, but I pretty much camped on the men. Let's talk about women real quick because they're not here. (laughs) That's what the guys would be like. Isn't it great when men are like this? I mean, isn't it a good thing when men are like this? Yeah. No. We've got another list for the women. It's pretty similar. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. A lot of times... You get a lot of wine, you start saying things you shouldn't be saying. Right? Right? All right, watch this. Teaching what is good. This is what old women are doing. They're to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women or literally that they may train.
train the young women. And what are they going to train the young women to do? Watch this. To love their husbands. Literally to be husband lovers. To love their children. Literally to be children lovers. To be sensible. There's that word again. Sensible. So we got to train. We, we got to train the younger women to be sensible. You say, what about the guys? Well, look at verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. What is sensible? It's being a sound thinker with his life under control or her life under control. When we're young, we, t- we, 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 we do dumb things. You get older, you realize that was pretty dumb, that was pretty stupid. And you can have an influence on somebody who's younger and you can, as they observe your life and how you live your life, you can be a stabilizing influence in their life. So older women are to train, that word train there, New American Standard says encourage, but the idea is train, and the idea of train is to bring them to their senses. So we need older women to teach younger women to to bring them to their senses in regard to loving their husbands, loving their children, to be sensible, to be pure, in your mind, in your heart, you be careful what you watch on TV, the movies you go to, be careful what you wear, how you dress, to be workers at home. My gosh, how'd that get in there? <laughs> Need a new translation here, doggone it. That's what it means, it means workers at home. Somebody needs to work, someone needs to maintain a household. I mean, that's just how it is. So how are we going to do that in this culture? Well, you make choices. You make decisions. I mean, I, I got an email from a guy this week. And he was upset with me because he read something I wrote. And he says, do you always write to, you always write to uh, guys that have a lot of money? I thought, what is this guy's deal? Because you, you, you talked about husbands and wives and how it's a good thing for wives to be at home. Well, that's right out of Titus. Isn't that what it says? Workers at home? It didn't mean a gal can't have some employment, but someone... See, so you... you well, I don't make a lot of money. Okay, that's fine. I'm, not right. I'm writing the guys. I mean, this is for everybody. I mean, it's what we had to deal with when our kids were young. But the question is, who's going to raise our kids? Are we going to raise them or is somebody else going to raise them? Well, we want to live in a real nice house. Well, okay. Well, we raise, live in a real nice house like that. We're both going to have to work. And somebody else, we're going to have to pay a minimum wage to raise our kids. Now, I know someone's going to get upset and send me an email. Okay, that's fine. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying you need to think about it. Well, we're we're used to a certain lifestyle. Well, pin a rose on your nose. (laughs) Maybe you need to rethink your lifestyle. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not even the junior Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you what it says. (laughs) Right? You're going to have a home. Somebody's got to take care of the home. It's called a division of labor. And we need, young, we, we, we need older women teaching younger women the priority of the home. But see, in our culture, and everybody bought into this until the 60s, and Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique. And, and she said, you're not significant if you are a, a, a housewife. Well, we call them stay-at-home. You're not significant. It's the most important work in the world. Amen. You're making disciples. You can't see straight and you can't think because of all the demands on you. No, no wonder she wrote the book. Who would want to do that? What did Jesus say? If you're going to be great in the kingdom, you must be the Of all. Being subject to their own husbands. My gosh, here we go again. Another textual flaw. How'd that get in there? Doggone it. Oh, by the way, so that the word of God. Why should they be subject to their own husbands? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. 
because that's how God wants. He, he's got a hierarchy of relationships. And it's just not for gals. Hey, hey by the way, guys, if you're one of those guys that's always playing the trump card, you need to submit to me, you're an idiot. You remember I said we're going to do O and we're going to do Y? We're going to do I, too. And everybody gets an I, because we're all idiots. Reformation Study Bible says this, Submission does not necessarily indicate a lower status. Elsewhere, Paul applies the concept to wives. He's quoting here another passage. I don't have time to explain this because the clock's running. Elsewhere, Paul's, Paul applies the uh, concept to wives, to husbands and wives, Ephesians 5.21, to children, Ephesians 3.4, to slaves, Titus 2.9, to prophets, 1 Corinthians 14.32, Christians, Romans 13, you submit to authority, the church, Ephesians 5.24, and even Christ himself submitted. To submit does not mean you are of a lower status. But among two equals, if anything is going to get done in any kind of relationship, you have to have a hierarchy. In a huddle, you don't have 11 guys calling plays. They're all equals, are they not? You got one guy calling the play. So among equals, one guy, or 10 guys submit to one guy. You're all equals, you're all the same, but you got to have submission in order for life to work, Right? Is the guy that runs the billion-dollar corporation any better than the guy that cleans his office at night? No. But in order for stuff to get done, you've got equals all the way down the line. Somebody's submitting to someone else's authority. It's how life works. You can't get along without it. And the last one I didn't get to when I'm out of time, slaves, you say slavery's not a good thing. Uh, slavery isn't a good thing, but they had slaves, and Paul talks about that issue to those that were in family situations that were bond slaves. If you read the next book, which is Philemon, if people, let me tell you something, in cultures where there was slavery, if people followed what was in Philemon, slavery would have died out. And what was he doing in Philemon? He was writing to an older man, and he was saying in verse 15, for perhaps this slave who ran away and came to me, for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's calling out to an older man to be a godly man. Uh, I, I'm out of time. Um, the, the thing I wanted to hit you with, though, before we... we I want you to look at verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. There it is again. And Titus, in all things, show yourself. This, this is key. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. In, in, in other words, hey, Titus, as you're teaching this stuff, when they look at you and they do the math on your life and on your teaching, it all adds up. And you know what, guys? There are people that are looking at us and they're running the numbers on what we say and what we do. And when it adds up, it's a great thing. thought we'd lower the standard tonight. Because men just love that. Don't you love it when the standard is raised? Because we're called to meet challenges. And by his help, you know what? This is what he wants to do in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'll keep our feet on the ground. Give us that gravitas. Keep us steady. Keep us stable. Keep us serious, not because we're depressed, not because we don't have any hope. we got all kinds of hope. We know you. Because we know you, we can not only be steady ourselves, we can steady others.
doesn't take a lot of men. It just takes a few good men. We'd like to be one of those by your grace and by your help, by your mercy. Help us to grow. We can beat ourselves up for all the mistakes we've made. That's, that's really kind of a waste of time. We need to repair something. We need to go repair it. But then as Paul said, we forget what is behind and we press forward. Trusting you to do the work in us that we cannot do. This isn't human effort. This, this is human effort empowered by your spirit. And we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.